Welcome to Credit Union Conversations Podcast with your host, Mark Ritter, a forward-thinking CEO who excels in helping credit unions, small businesses, and real estate investors succeed. Join Mark as he explores current trends, interviews industry experts, and get fresh insights on optimizing your operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members. Hello, this is Mark Ritter, the CEO of MBFS, a business lending QSO that helps credit unions nationwide with all of your commercial lending activities. And I'm also your host of Credit Union Conversations, and I enjoy bringing this to you every two weeks where we drop our latest episode on Tuesdays, typically. And times they are changing in the credit union industry. I don't know about you, but you know, as I record this and talk to you, it's it's the third quarter of 2023, and when I started seeing uh, liquidity tightening and some other things going on in the end of last year, or I, I we really looked ahead to the third quarter of the, of 2023 and said, boy, maybe maybe things will will change and we'll see some th- different things on the horizon. And if anything, you know, our our environment is getting more and more challenging every day. So so this is, you know, why we wanted to help with you today. And joining me today is Craig Page, the Chief Revenue Officer of MBFS. Craig, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me on the show, Mark. I appreciate it. So and uh, for those of you who are familiar with MBFS, uh, we we are mainly a remote company, and uh, I'm talking to you from the hills of uh, and mountains of North Central Pennsylvania, and Craig's down there in one of my favorite places in uh, Middle Tennessee. So uh, we don't get to see each other, or we talk to each other pretty regularly, but don't get to see each other too often, right, Craig? Not very much in person, but looking forward to seeing you in the in the next week. Yes, that is true. So. So today, Craig and I wanted to talk to uh, our audience about uh, one of the topics that's probably not that great to discuss, and uh, but we wanted to try to help people get in front of that, and that's when it gets into commercial loan workouts and collections and that whole piece. Uh, Craig, why don't you kind of tell everybody a little bit of your background and history and uh, your, you know, your origin story. Go right ahead. Terrific. Thanks. Um, I have been working in the banking and financial services industry for about 20 years. And then close to 15 years ago, somebody who I had worked for with a, at a regional bank um, tapped me and said, hey, I work for a CUSO, and this is in 2009, and we're seeing some delinquencies. I uh, know you've had a lot of experience in that. I think we may have some potential REOs and some potential delinquencies. Why don't you come over to this CUSO? And I said, what's a CUSO? So he explained to me what a CUSO is, and almost 15 years ago, that began my my uh, foray into credit unions and CUSOs and have went on to join that CUSO, set up their REO department, managed their risk and loss mitigation for them, um, and ultimately went on um, and ran that CEO or that 
CUSO for a number of years. So have never looked back, love the, the movement in the industry, and uh, here we are today. Well, that, that's great. And, and a lot of your, uh, uh, let's talk Great Recession talk and, and kind of a <laughs> yeah. look back in time, uh, as fun as that sounds. So a lot of your time, it was with, uh, and the properties that you dealt with were in some of the, what we'll call the the big name states during the Great Recession, the Californias and, and some of the Absolutely. other hot markets. Yep. Um, California, Florida. We had we had a lot of the coastal properties. Absolutely. Yeah. When you look back at that time, you know, with the benefit of hindsight in history, you know, what what do you think back about those times uh, when you look back? You know, I think that one of the things that I learned from that time, and I think many of us who came through that time is you need to be cognizant of the the warning signs and things that that clue you in that there may be trouble brewing with one of your borrowers um looking at at annual loan reviews and i know that that's also a subject that many don't like to discuss in addition to uh problem loans and commercial delinquencies but the reality is that Annual loan reviews are a good barometer. If you are current on your annual reviews, and if you're not, you should be, and let us know if you need help with that. But the reality is that it's a good way to determine, are there any warning signs that you need to be concerned about with this borrower or the underlying asset? Are there property taxes that, are, that have not been made timely or have only been made partially? property taxes or is everything current on your property taxes what's the title look like on on the subject property are there any liens that have cropped up or anything that, that you wouldn't expect to see those are the the early signs that that will help you to understand there may be something here that i should be looking at more closely or taking a deeper look at looking back during the Great Recession, what did you really find was the the, the root cause of some of it? Uh, you know, obviously, everybody had issues. Was it more of oversupply? Was it lack of demand for space? Every The economy, you know, there was just no demand for for what was going on at the time what what when you look back what what do you really see as as kind of some of the macro issues and then you know maybe we'll dig into some of the borrowers go right ahead yeah i think um the the lack of demand was was clearly something that was in play at the time which we're seeing now um, post pandemic a lot of people um not returning to the office getting comfortable working remote as I'm doing today as we talk, um, that was, was a big part of it. I think the, the other thing, Mark, that surprised me and a lot of the borrowers is that, especially at that time, we, as you have said, we had a lot of holdings in, in California, commercial real estate in California. And I think that most borrowers thought this is just another small blip on the radar and in a couple of months, everything will be fine. And everything wasn't fine in a couple of months. And I think that many of the borrowers failed to address things early on that they could have. 
and could have communicated more clearly and concisely and earlier on with their lender than than they did because I think that many of them thought, you know, this is just my problem. I'm the only one that's having this kind of problem as as many of us do when we're having a difficulty. We think no one else can can understand or relate or is going through the same types of things. And so borrowers as a whole at that point, Mark, were very reluctant to talk about the the types of experiences that they were having and the, the difficulties that they were follow that they were facing on their properties. So it was it was really an act of pulling teeth to get borrowers to talk about what's going on and what's what are you experiencing. And I think it it led to in in some regards there being such a long tail on, on the recession and recovery from the Great Recession because we didn't work on, on the solutions quickly enough with the borrowers because they were unwilling to admit there was a problem. Yeah, I had a, a friend of mine uh, from California and he turned into a real estate investor and thought that this isn't possible. I, I make money in real estate and this is how I do it. And never really anticipated the downside and, and, and cycles in the industry. They just thought it was always up. It was always steady and there will never be an issue. Uh, and I just think we had so many people in it at that time. Uh, where the, really you, you weren't experienced and did, weren't planning for it and didn't give yourself a buffer. I was in central Pennsylvania at the time, uh, not too far from, from where I call home these days. And at the time, there was, you know, it was always more in these smaller markets, very stable markets. It's like, well, this is something that's the, the big states, it's in California, it's in the coastals, as you said. It doesn't really happen here. But the values were so impacted, and people couldn't fill properties. They couldn't sell the homes. It was really just a slowdown. And, and people, a, a lot of times, borrowers don't think, well, that can happen to me here. They, they think, well, I made a good, I made a good purchase, and uh, it, it can't be wrong because a lot of times I think the reality of losing a huge investment, people don't want to, people don't want to realize that uh, and, and sometimes just bury their head in the sand. Good, good term. Yes, I agree. I think that many um, investors in real estate, as you said, Mark, they, they think that that won't happen to me, how could that happen to me? You you invest in real estate because real estate always increases in value, and as you said, uh, especially the coastal um, regions, it it just goes up. So you know it may it may go down a little bit, but it's not going to go down a lot. Um, and I think that many commercial investors, residential investors, you can call them. They're, they're mixed now. A lot of people are amassing a lot of residential properties. Um, so are they are they residential investors or commercial? Well, you get a portfolio big enough and, you know, it, it's the same, same for same. So I think that a lot of them are, have, 
have perhaps not been through one of these cycles and don't realize that that it does happen. Um, for the most part, the the fortunately the blips are small, um, but this time around, I think we're going to once again have to look at what what's happened on the residential side. The the values have gone up dramatically. Um, are we going to see them go below where people invested? Well, that depends on on where in the cycle they invested. Commercial, um, we've talked a little bit about people working remote. There, there are certain markets um, where it it's changed dramatically. I was in Portland, Oregon, not long ago, in downtown Portland, and boy, it's changed. I used to uh, visit a client of mine up there, and I would park half an hour walk away because it was the closest you could get in parking because it was just so congested. And I was there a few months ago. And I drove up and parked in the front of their building, and there's no one downtown. Everyone has has fled the downtown area, and vacancies are at an all-time high. I, I really think you know a, a lot of we're, we'll, we'll use the term commercial real estate to to kind of throw into just about anything that's what we'll call an, an investment, but. This time around, you know, in the Great Recession, I think it was such a demand-driven issue. This time around, I, I think there's going to be some different factors. Um, you know, unemployment's going to still remain. You know, projections are unemployment isn't going to skyrocket. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But the money supply seems really out of whack uh, with what we're seeing and experiencing in, in the economy at a whole, which could really put a wrench in a lot of properties. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, when you go to downtown Portland, you look around and there's a lot of parking. I experienced that when I went to a business park in New Jersey, where it was your typical suburban business park, maybe eight to 10 buildings. And these parking lots were empty. And all I could think of is, I guess everybody here is working from home. Uh, and, and it's not that people aren't working. They're not working in the, these large places that we designed to house all of these people. Because it's very expensive to build and labor is still tight. And, and, and where do you, you know, I, I see it as there's definitely segments that are going to be in trouble. It's not that all real estate is a bad investment today. There's some that are performing just fine. Right. But but what's your kind of outlook on on the commercial real estate space these days? I think that um, as we look at the the various aspects, um, flex and industrial space where it can be used as as a transportation hub um, in the in the wake of all of us shopping <laughs> online and through Amazon and those kinds of things, those are in, in huge demand and they continue to lease up very quickly if there's a vacancy, um, but most of them tend to be occupied. Um, commercial, um, commercial office, there tends to be, again, depends on what, what type of office. If you're looking at 
class A office, sometimes medical office. None of us are, not all of us. Um, some people visit their doctor remotely, but for the most part, those are still services that we go to in person. So I see retail continuing to have a strong demand. The The sector that I'm most concerned about personally is, is office. What which offices need to remain open and which ones don't. And as you've said, Mark, we we become comfortable working remote. Do we need to go into the office? I mean, certainly there are some that do, but there's some that don't. And I think that's where, where we're seeing the most weakness and the area that causes me personally the most question. A- absolutely. So So let's flip it around for a little bit and, and, and talk from you know, the, 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 we have credit union listeners on this show, what, what they should maybe be thinking about. And you mentioned a few signs of trouble. And, and, and the first one that jumps out to me that I always think is the big, big factor in red flag above everything else is if they're not paying their taxes, specifically those real estate taxes, because I find that that's the easiest thing for people to punt and defer for a couple years. And well, you know, I, 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 I'm going to have to pay it. I know I'm going to have to pay it, but I can get away with it a couple years before somebody chases me down. What are some of the other signs that, that you see or hear just in conversations or at the annual reviews where you say, okay, we have a problem. I need to dig deep. Great question, Mark. And, and to your point, property taxes, you're, you're right. They can, they can punt that one for a period of time without hitting the radar too hard. But if you're looking at the title reports and you're looking to, to the tax rolls to make sure that they're current, um, you're going to know if they're not. The other one that, that stands out to me is deferred maintenance. That one's a little bit more difficult um, because from just looking at paper, you're not going to see that. It's why I think that it's extremely important that where you can, you get a property inspection report. May not need to be a full-blown PCA property condition assessment where you really dig into the two by fours of the property and what what the condition of, of the property is. But you may want to do a drive-by and look at um, is the building painted? If it's a, a house, is are the weeds grown up? Um, those those types of things, because again, they're not going to hit the radar typically with a lender unless the lender is looking for them. And in this environment, I think that it is prudent to make sure that you're checking those those low hanging fruit boxes, property taxes, deferred maintenance, um, insurance, property insurance is another one. It also tends to be very, very expensive. That one will typically catch you sooner than the property taxes will. But again, if you're in a, in a cash crunch, those are the three areas that I typically see borrowers waiting on. One of the differences for many of our listeners is that when they're at a credit union, what happens is somebody doesn't pay a loan, it goes 30, 60 days, and we have a collections problem. You know, we're trying to get the money, see if it's the payment, we send them some letters, and then when they don't pay, 
if it's a car, we go take their car. If it's a house, we we foreclose on it, or we you know we have some sort of collections. And it's, I hate to say it's routine, but it's fairly routine. You know, there's always some nuances in there. Whereas in the, on the commercial space, the, the delinquency is the lagging indicator. When they're not paying you, it's over. Uh, as opposed to, and we, and in our business, we, re, we come to, sometimes refer to this as the workout process. Where did you see, and I th- and I'd be interested to get your hindsight in terms of you know how much was a workout versus a collection, and you know we so there were probably some situations you looked at where you said first conversation you said this is over we're just in this for recoveries what's the most I can get out of this versus looking at it and saying. I need to work this out and work through it because I'm going to lose money if I just put the hammer down on these people. Kind of what, when you reach that fork in the road, what, what was your perspective and outlook on the, some of the different options? I think that my, my outlook in hindsight, Mark, is that what we don't want to do is fall into a routine or consider that this is standard procedure when you get to a commercial delinquency. One of the things that, that I found was extremely successful was reaching out to the borrower and having a conversation. Hey, looks like there's a problem here. Tell me what's going on. Can you meet me at the property and give me a tour? What's going on with the property? I see you're, you're delinquent. Those kinds of things. I, I find that when you start out having a conversation with a borrower who's already in trouble. They know they're in trouble. They're feeling stressed. They're feeling guilty. They're feeling, you know, name the emotion. A lot of them are are happening at the same time and probably most of them all at the same time. But but reaching out and and having a conversation, I think that the, the borrower tends to be willing to work with lenders that are willing to engage in a dialogue doesn't mean you're going to do anything any differently, but certainly the more information you have on a commercial delinquency, the better. So having those conversations as opposed to laying down the hammer as a first option, um, clearly there's a lot of them that you, you just need to. But I think assessing the situation, Mark, is is one of the things that helps you to make those decisions, whether it is a loss or whether it's a workout. Um, and the more information you can get from a borrower, especially if you're managing that property from another state or the loan from another state. Um, we're in Pennsylvania. If we have a loan in, in New Jersey, you know, it. you may not necessarily know the conditions of that submarket as well as the borrower does. So getting the borrower on your side and getting as much information um, as as quickly as you can certainly helps you to go forward with that decision. And once you get to the the point that you have as much information as you can get from the borrower, that's when it typically is very clear that this is going to be a recovery um, versus a workout. But I think if you've built some dialogue and some rapport with the borrower, those negotiations in a, in a workout 
tend to go much smoother because you both have some skin in the game in in talking through what the issues are and how to best resolve them. Yeah, and I think uh, that that's a different outlook than many credit unions are used to in the past. A lot of times people have, uh, I'll call it procedures, they have systems, this is how we do things, this is what we want to do. And it would be great if there was a simple playbook and a flow chart where you said, if the borrower does this, we do this. But that's not the case in, in the world that we live in. There's complexities, there's nuances, there's micro issues, there's macro issues. And with the dollar of loans that we talk about in the credit union space for commercial lending, it's they, these are not $8,000 credit cards account. Many times you're better off making the decisions you didn't wish you had to take, but they're better off for everybody in the end. And that's probably one of the big differences that, that I see is, you know, working with people as opposed to collecting and, 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 and is, is a much different mindset. And I think what we do well you know, here at MBFS and advising the credit union. So, you know, unfortunately, I think we're going to be doing more of this business over the next few years. Um, no, nobody wishes we we were, um, right. but I think that's what we'll be doing and helping people out. I, I agree, Mark. And if I can go back and just make one caveat to your listeners, I, I want to make sure that I don't, that I'm not remiss in saying, well, it's important to build a rapport and talk to your borrow. It's also important that you understand the law and that you're not creating problems for your credit union when you're talking to a borrower and saying we can work on this. There, there's a very fine line there. And so my my recommendation, in addition to making sure you engage the borrower and talk to them, is make sure before you do that, you know what the laws are that govern the particular state you're working in, and make sure that you are not making reps or warranties accidentally to a borrower saying, oh, we can modify this loan or anything else. Make sure you know what your covenants are within your loan documents. This is, you want to you want to be friendly, you want to be cooperative, but you also want to make sure that you are within the lines of the law and that you're being very, very careful. It is, it's a, a delicate balance, um, but it's an important one. Yeah, there, there, there is uh, such a line there of, of lender liability that, that you could get yourself into because in general, credit unions, and this is why we like our industry, we're friendly. We want to talk. We want to have the conversations, but you can't overpromise. And that's where getting in that third party to negotiate a letter uh, and, and put in some parameters so that we're all on the same page really helps out. Th this is not something, uh, if it is your first go around uh, of working out, you, you don't want to just push it to the lender 
because many times they have a relationship with that borrower and they want to maintain that relationship and be friendly. And if you were involved in the origination of the loan, many times you see it from a different lens versus somebody like me and you that comes in after the fact. Absolutely. And as you said, Mark, we certainly are well poised at MBFS to to help credit unions with this. And we understand the balance, the delicate balance. Um, And, you know, I personally have spent enough time in court dealing with foreclosures and bankruptcies and those kinds of things that you understand what the nuances are. And you become familiar with them. And you work well with not only your credit unions, but you try and work well with the borrowers, understanding what they're going through and what the the macro and microeconomics are, as you said. Well, un- unfortunately, uh, you know, we, we could probably spend hours and hours talking through all of the nuances. Uh, and I think both of us would get pretty bored and a lot of listeners would hang up. Uh, but I think we gave people a lot to think about today. I certainly hope so. I think that, as you said, there's a lot more to cover, um, but I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and to share some perspectives with our credit union partners. The commercial lending space is extremely rewarding for credit unions. It's extremely rewarding for your community. But what I would caution everybody is when you get these uh, bumps in the road, when you get the hiccups, if you don't have people who are very experienced in that process, uh, pick up the phone and, and talk to somebody who, who does. And there's a large difference between being an expert in commercial lending and originations and being an expert and very knowledgeable in commercial loan workouts. Uh, Cause those are two very, very different processes. And uh, you know, C- Craig here uh, is one of the, the experts in our industry. Unfortunately, it's one of these things where the more experience you have, the, the less you really want that experience at times because it's not too fun. Uh, but you need to you need to get that done. So, Craig, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. All right, we will see each other very soon. And uh, for all you listeners out there, we hope we get, we gave you a little bit of things to talk about today and things to consider. Uh, delinquency is low these days, but we all think it's going to increase. Uh, if it goes down uh, over the next two years or so. Uh, We'll, we'll give everybody who listens to this show a prize, but and I'll be very happy if that's the case. But we don't think that's going to happen. So thank you. My name is Mark Ritter, your host of Credit Union Conversations. If you want to connect with me or Craig and talk a little bit more about this, uh, you can reach us out on our website, mbfs.org. Uh, we're both out there on LinkedIn. and uh, But on our website, we have all of our contact information where you can connect with us directly. Thank you. Have a great day. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markwitter.com for more information.